Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about that real fun topic that teachers are just uh, so excited to continue to imagine, which is hybrid learning. Yes, we love it. We absolutely love it. Yeah. You can sense the hyperbole in our voices probably (laughs) right now. Or the sarcasm. Yeah. The more that we uh, talk to teachers, we hear the same thing. Absolutely. It's terrible. We hate it. I don't want to be there. Yeah. Um, And and, and, uh, lots of people have begun to assume, I hope it's true, but have begun to assume that hybrid learning uh, for the majority of it is going to go away as, you know, more people yeah. get vaccines and the, the virus starts to wane and some of those things. But it wouldn't be the first time that we made an assumption about what was going to happen in the future yeah. that wasn't true. It happens all the time. We think we know where life is going, where society's going, where the future's going, and then we get it wrong. The classic, Andrew, illustration of this for me was the, <laughs> it was called the Great horse manure crisis of 1894. I'm not kidding. There was a horse manure crisis because at the time, there were no automobiles. Yeah. There were no jet planes. Yeah. Uh, there were some bicycles, but mostly people got around in horse, horses, horses and carriages, etc. Yeah, so cities are getting more populous. Yeah. Horse, horse and buggy are, are becoming more ubiquitous, and so you've got a growing manure problem. Yes, that's right. <laughs> My uncle used to say to me, she was only a stableman's daughter, but all the horse manure. So there you have it, folks. There's the, there's the wit and wisdom of, of Dr. Elmore. Okay, so Andrew, way back in London and New York, conferences were happening about 100 years ago at the turn of the 20th century about this crisis. In London, it happened in 1894, uh, London literally had 50,000 horses on the roads wow, every day. that's crazy. And because horses had shorter life, still do, shorter lifespans than humans, carcasses of horses were just there. Oh, my god! And they let them stay there a little while so they'd stiffen up. This sounds horrible, I know, but so they could cut them up and this get them. This is like them. their waste management yes, solution. Yeah, crazy. But you can imagine with all the horses, there were a lot, there was there was urine, there was manure. It just uh, there was a prediction at this conference that London would be filled with nine feet of horse manure within a year if they didn't solve this problem. And uh, you can imagine with all the manure, there were flies, which led to the spread of typhoid fever. It just got horrendous. So in this conference, they're just mourning this horrible. Probably problem. trying to figure out what do we do about this. <laughs> yeah. And someone proposed, maybe one day soon, there will be horseless carriages. And it was laughed at, as you can imagine. Yeah. But you and I both know, within about a decade. Yeah, they were just a few years away. That's right. You know, we, Henry Ford and others in Germany, America, uh, cars were invented. And, of course, the horse manure crisis became a thing of the past. But we didn't see. Most of us didn't see it coming. Yeah, we were so convinced that the problem yeah. we were experiencing in the moment— I say we— People back then were so convinced that the problem they were experiencing in the moment was going to stay the same or at least continue to mount, right? Yeah. Um, Never could they imagine. In fact, it's so funny to me that the first name for the car was the horseless carriage, right? What we know now provides context for how we imagine the future. And the the reality is we can look back and laugh at these people talking about their manure problem when they were really a decade away from it solving itself. But the question remains, how often do we find ourselves in that exact same situation? Yeah, well, I could think of something as a boy. So fast forward from the turn of the century to the mid-century, I remember when seatbelts became a thing, 
And I remember how distraught people were at how they mussed up their clothes, yeah. their skirts and slacks yep. and yep. dress. You it's know, all wrinkled. Pants. Yeah, it's yep. all wrinkled. This thing's, And some were just sure this is not going to last because it messes up our clothes. Yeah. Well, then it did become a thing. Yep. Every car had them, and then it became a law. Yeah. And so by the late 60s, early 70s, we're all now learning to put our seatbelts on. And I remember in the 80s, there was a great campaign yeah. before you were born even that we got to do this. But again... Some people didn't see it coming. We were so sure it was this way, and then it became that way. And again, this could be applied to our educational circles today with what we're experiencing now. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's so many examples that that we can look at. And to keep on the same uh, car pathway, uh, the same thing is kind of happening with electric cars right now, isn't it? Right? Lots of people thought, oh, electric cars, that'll never happen. Where do I charge it? You know, and all those other questions. And yet car manufacturers have proved in the last decade, really, uh, that this is a viable thing, right? It's going to be possible even now and and, and especially in the near future for you to have a cross-country road trip in an electric car. Things that we never could have imagined. I think it was GM recently, right? General Motors. They said um, all of our cars are going to be electric by 2035, right? Um, So all of this, I think, is representing this trajectory that continues to happen, as well as our assumption that, oh, things will never... Never become what we what they're saying it will, and yet that often is what happens. Isn't yeah. It? So let's apply this then to the world we're all in. You're probably listening to this podcast because you care about young people. You care about the next generation. Uh, I would say, although millions of teachers, students, and parents would say that the abrupt transition to hybrid or not even hybrid at first, it was yeah. remote all learning. Yeah. Suddenly in March of 2020, we're in remote learning. Yeah. And most of us didn't like it. Yeah. In fact, the results came in. Parents didn't like it. Kids didn't like it. You know, teachers uh, didn't like teachers it. didn't like it because yeah. they were parents and teachers much of the time. Yeah. But um, they said the abrupt transition to remote learning a year ago was problematic, to say the least. Many are now preparing for what if this doesn't go away, this reality in the 2022 school year. Uh, It might. According to journalist Benjamin Herald, and I quote, many teachers hate it. Millions of parents find it exhausting. A growing body of evidence suggests it has contributed to students falling significantly behind. And yet now we're beginning to think, should we get ready for something that this doesn't go away. Absolutely. And that's really what this uh, podcast is about today, is not the assumption that we necessarily will definitely have virtual learning or hybrid learning when we get back. Although I think we have to accept the reality, just looking at a few examples that we just talked about, that it's very possible that the future won't look exactly the way we assume it will look, right? And so the question is, what principles can we sort of manage our leadership by just in case this whole hybrid learning thing doesn't go away. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so uh, what we want to talk about now, and and what I think would be really helpful is to talk about the context for where we're at right now, right? Because the world is sort of changing around us. We're looking at some of the signs. Uh, I think probably in 1894, they might have been able to look at some of the signs of their world and realize maybe this problem won't be exactly what we think it is. So I wonder if you could talk about what are some signs that we're looking at that say maybe this thing might not go away? Well, one um, one reality I'm thinking of right now, Andrew, is something I said in an earlier podcast, that the year 2020 was a great accelerator. Yeah. Whatever was slowly evolving into being suddenly got sped up. Yep. We all were talking about getting better with technology in our schools. Suddenly, we had to. Yeah. We all were talking about the increasing diversity and equity and inclusion. Suddenly, 
it was not only a thing, it was a must. Yeah. It was a priority. Uh, we were all talking about how commerce would happen more electronically, and brick-and-mortar stores were going, oh, my gosh, if that's true, we're in trouble. Well, some went bankrupt yeah. because commerce was only taking place uh, you know, through, through e-commerce. So, again, I, I want our listeners just to understand that things have been sped up. So we can't slowly evolve anymore. We've got to be ready for anything, and particularly we need to be ready for, for the future. Um, in many ways, I think the train has left the station. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, like it or not, uh, there's no going back. Michael Chasen, who helped create the learning management system Blackboard, we all remember that 25 years ago when it yep. first showed up, uh, says that remote instruction has passed the acceptance barrier, meaning we now realize we got to learn to do this. Yes. Every school, just about, at least in urban and suburban areas, there might be a rural school that doesn't need to learn this right away, but I just feel like we need to brace ourselves. The future's coming at us really fast. Absolutely. And if we are not, if we're not in the mindset that this is here, right? Because I'm yeah. hearing it a lot from teachers, um, and, and it's not necessarily wrong to think like this, but I think we have this assumption that, okay, well, t- the 2021-2022 school year is going to mean we go back finally to yeah, the way yeah. things were. And I think that's the assumption that we're trying to challenge here is yeah. no matter what, there is no going back. So my big $64,000 question, maybe even 65000 hey, is this. So how can we progress from enduring this reality we currently have to actually enjoying it? How do we get ahead of the curve and be ready for it? We're always going to be ready for in-person. Absolutely. How do we get ready for the worst-case scenario? Absolutely. And this goes beyond just making sure we've downloaded the latest software. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, honestly about principles more yeah. than it is specific uh, individual things, things that w- are going to be true no matter what the future looks yeah, like. that's right. Whether you're in a virtual or hybrid or completely in-person school, I think we have to start thinking about the classroom differently. So yeah. I, I think you've got some practical principles that we can lean on, seven of them in fact. So can you walk us through those? Yeah. So as we look around at our partners, Andrew, we have many partners here in the U.S., but many in Singapore and Brazil and Mexico and, and, and other, other countries around the world. We're actually, people are using Habitudes in 72 countries right now. So That's we awesome. get to meet some of the best teachers and we get to see best practices. So we begin to pose the question, how are you doing hybrid or remote learning and what's working? So I'm going to share seven ideas. Some of them are intuitive, some are counterintuitive, but here we go. Let's do it. Number one, um, I would say one best practice that we love at Growing Leaders is to create student leadership teams. So think about this. Uh, Many teachers admitted to me when I talked to them that they realized they needed help if their remote learning classes were going to succeed. And I think they found the best place to get that help was the students themselves. Number one, the students often, you know, understand technology better than the teachers, so that help was there. But um, I think one best practice is to identify students who seem to be initiators, maybe those who speak up first or seem more engaged, and ask them to be peer leaders. You may consider offering them extra credit, uh, prepare them to initiate Zoom room discussions if they're people persons, or prepare an opening game for classes if they're the class clown, or, or even help you review, review content for an exam. Some of those are very, very smart kids. So there's introvert and extrovert leaders, but find those initiators and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leverage your influence with your peers to make this class work. Andrew, we're leadership people, yeah. but we just see, even without a badge, just giving them a task to do engages them more and allows them 
to help you lead that class. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget after doing a, a year or more of remote learning that we were having issues with student engagement before we ever put That's them right. in the virtual classroom, right? So this is yes. a principle that applies no matter what the school year looks like this right. fall. Is true. We've got to find a way to engage students, give them leadership, ownership. That's really what we're talking about when we say leadership. Mm -hmm. We're talking about ownership responsibilities. They get to yep. help make it happen. And when you do that, it's just, it, it's night and day in yeah. the classroom. So even in an in-person scenario, uh, let's say you've got 25 students in your classroom. I'm making this up now, but 25 students in your classroom. Uh, you might say, I'm going to put them in pods, learning pods, let's say five learning pods of five, and you have a pod leader. Yeah. So again, no badge necessary, but this person knows, yeah. I'm going to make sure the discussion happens, and, and, and soon others jump in because it's peer-led, not just adult-led. That's what we're after. So in-person or remote, this student leadership thing is a great idea. Absolutely. All right, let's do number two. Number two, um, very different than number one. Utilize gaming to study, reinforce learning, and engage students. Yeah. So gaming is the native tongue for many Gen Z students. Andrew, you know this better than I do. <laughs> you were a gamer back in the day, weren't you? A little you? bit, yeah. Okay, I yeah. thought so. I, yeah. I dabbled. Yeah. <laughs> so the best educators we know identify new apps and learn to gamify their learning experiences. I'm not saying it's all fun and games, but you're gamifying, making it competition, making making sure there's some sort of reward or incentive, uh, and it just becomes a fun way to engage and retain uh, information. So this step is all about moving past the talking head, which most teachers kind of, that's how we learn to do it, uh, who downloads data to a class of students, and now you're using technology to actually make this work. So I just feel, so let me give you a couple of examples. Some of them that we heard about, Andrew, if you remember in, in our conversations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Quizzes is a great example. It's free and has loads of games created actually by other teachers. So this is an educational game that you can use. Love it. Uh, Bamboozle, uh, which works well for smaller classes especially. Uh, Fluent Key turns the passive act of watching videos into a game that allows students to comment and discuss along the way in real time. So all of this feels more like the native language of yep. a student today. Yep. And that's really what we're acknowledging is the gamification is happening in every other area of their life. Really, that's what social media is. We don't yeah. think about this often, but student posts on Instagram, they yeah. get likes and comments back, and it lets them know, hey, you did a good thing, yeah. do it again, right? <clears throat> yep. That's that little dopamine hit, and the student keeps going forward. So are we looking for the same opportunities to provide yeah. feedback, to create, uh, create uh, ways that, like you said, competition and also rewards for success? Yep. If we can do those things with or without apps, honestly, with yeah. or without screens, that's going to increase engagement. So yeah, I love this. That's right. You can gamify without all that technology. Absolutely. So there's a second cousin in number two, and we're calling it number three. Isn't that clever? <laughs> it is. Uh, number three is find cutting-edge technology to communicate with students. Mm. So you all know that the classroom discussion you have is only a part of your relationship with those students. If you can find ways on apps or other pieces of technology that they're familiar with to keep engaging them, it just makes the learning all the better. So I've enjoyed hearing from many educators who are not tech savvy, N-O-T. Yep. They're more like me than you, Andrew. <laughs> they're not tech savvy. And they tell me they've become familiar with some of the newest apps so they can better connect with, with students. I love it. Yeah. So TikTok over the last few years has become enormously popular. What if you use that for yeah. educational and redemptive purposes? That it's not just entertainment, it's edutainment. 
uh, which we totally believe in. There are new apps coming out every month that become the new normal for teens to communicate with each other. What if we found those out? Maybe even talk to your own children if you're a parent, or maybe talk to the kids that you feel like are confidants and say, what are you guys on? How could we use that? And brainstorm with them. Uh, We just think this is really, really, really good. What if you, listeners, were among the first to use a new app to check in on your students and see if they were okay? I just feel like that's a, that's a brilliant idea. What if it became the way you deepened a relationship with an absent student because they're still on their phone, you know? Uh, relationships are the key, and apps seem to be the natural bridge to build that relationship. I love it. I love yeah. it. I, this is, really connects with what you said in number one of letting students lead is mm-hmm. if you got a group of students and you said, hey, here's my goal. I want to do something fun online to just stay connected with you guys. What do you think I should do? What yeah. app should yeah. I use? How yeah. should I do it? Help me come up with a wrap or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? I really think those kids are going to help, uh, but it, it really is just a willingness to dive in. You don't have to understand ev- the whole world of social yeah. media and all the That's apps right. and all those things. But even just a little dip your dip your toe into this a little bit. Let mm-hmm. them lead and give you advice. I think that you'll be surprised at the reward uh, for even just a little bit of effort. So number four in our list of seven is have students complete weekly check-in surveys and actually respond to them. So we've heard from more and more teachers that say, oh, yeah, I had to do check-ins. I'm looking at their faces on the screen and making sure they're with me, eye contact, and sometimes it's not so much. But what if you actually created a way, a vehicle, a survey um, for them to check in and you're asking specific questions, not just how are you, although that's a good start. Um, But I'm telling you, speaking of checking in on students, this best practice is especially helpful for remote learning because you don't know what's happening yeah. off the screen uh, as much. A weekly or even daily check-ins sometimes are good. Maybe you have a theme. Maybe you have a, a background that you all you know decide you're going to use, and then you, you explain it. Uh, many use Google Form surveys uh, to do this um, check-in with them. Uh, it's, it's helpful. They ask students about their feelings toward their classes, school in general, their personal lives, as well as are they having any technical issues? Maybe they're having technical problems that they don't want, dare want to admit it in front of their other Gen Z peers yeah. that aren't having problems with technology. Um, so this is just huge. And some of these are going to help you reach your goals better because you've actually checked in on a personal note. Absolutely. And again, this is another principle. It, it definitely, it's so essential in the virtual classroom. I think we need to be doing this in the in-person classroom yeah, too. So I do too. no matter what your educational context, how are we checking in with them, getting it just a really quick understanding of where they're at emotionally? Because we've talked about this so many times on this podcast that where they're at emotionally provides context yeah. for whatever you're going to be doing next, whether it's an activity in the classroom, a discussion, you're about to do a math problem or whatever yeah. it is, where they're at can provide context for the conversation you want to have. One last point on this before we go further. Some of the teachers we've talked to Uh, add a very important question at the end of this little survey, and it's simply this. Is there anything else that you think would be helpful for me to know about how you're doing? Mm. That gives them the chance to say things they might not have said on questions one through four. Yep. Um, So we just think that's important. That's really good. Number five, leverage breakout rooms to deepen discussion and connection. So many teachers that are listening would say, of course, but we're just saying if you've got a class of 20, 25, 30, some of you even have bigger classes, just breaking them up into small groups, Zoom rooms, we've often called it on Zoom, 
this is just huge. I'm sure many of you do this already, but it was just interesting for me to hear how many educators said using these Zoom rooms was the key to their success. Mm. Breaking down the class of 25 into groups of four or five and then asking students to serve as peer leaders like we mentioned earlier. One phrase we've come to live by, Andrew, you know this, but our listeners may not. We've come to believe there's no life change without life exchange. Yep. Let me say that again. There is no life change without life exchange. So letting them just exchange life with each other is going to help actually dramatically create those epiphanies. Now, is it messy? Oh, of course it's more yep. messy yep. than you just giving a monologue. But boy, is it better to engage them for sure. Mm. I, this is so huge because this is another thing that we were doing in the classroom. And this is one of the things I was so excited about technology catching up is Zoom really introduced this feature yeah. right as the pandemic was happening. And, and it allowed for you to create this sort of intimate space uh, in the middle of a virtual discussion. So are we making space for this to happen? When yeah. we do, I think it makes a huge difference. No doubt about it. All right. Two more. Number six, identify ways to use online technology to build community offline. Yeah. So if you're in a remote setting going, I'm not enjoying this, well, what if that became the springboard? It was a means to an end, not an end. So um, again, I've loved the teachers that have said we're using our experience online to push them offline to an activity, an assignment, a project. Um, I have long believed that interaction online should always lead to interaction offline. Educators affirm to me, that once we've talked to, that remote learning succeeded when it led students to do something together in person, in small groups, in socially distant groups. Some called it um, driveway groups. They got in a driveway. Yeah. They still sat apart, but they were in so-and-so's driveway, you know, yeah. and that was just where they, where they met. Um, for example, a discussion in social studies might be on civic engagement with the elderly. And students could form communities to take food or other essentials to local senior citizens. There's one way to get them offline. But somehow serving together just bonds people. Absolutely. And we're just saying this, this could work for you as well. Absolutely. Same thing is true if you're talking about uh, engaging with people socially and you just want to give them an idea for how to connect with their family, right? Yeah. Any way to connect the online world with something that happens tangibly in the offline world, that's how you really Get, do things that actually sink in. Yeah, no doubt. So the last idea, number seven, is really just a personal one. Develop classroom habits of using students' names when interacting. Now, this may sound like, of course, but we've talked to many that said they waited too long before they learned this lesson or relearned this lesson. You know, you're talking to everybody. Anybody got an answer for number two? But when you say, uh, you know, Susie or Janet or Todd or whatever, suddenly now, oh, Oh, she noticed or he noticed. So can I just say the obvious? The best teachers know that virtual learning environments are more effective when students feel known, um, when they, they can't remain anonymous. And one best practice for the teachers is to utilize students' names as they interact and encourage students to do the same with each other. So um, you can find fun, creative ways to do this better, but you just need to start, lead the way, and learn their names uh, so that there's no question they're known in this class. What if you greeted the students at the beginning by name? Yes. Um, you know, sometimes we'll even do this with our 
Monday morning. Hey, hey, Annie, how you doing? You know, how's your kids? Yeah. It's just, it's just helpful. And again, it just reminds us, oh, yeah, this is not just a television show. I'm supposed to sit passively and watch. I'm supposed to engage like a video game. This makes such a huge difference. And maybe there's a teacher out there who's thinking, you know, you don't understand. I've got six classes. Yeah, I, that's a lot yeah. of names. But I, I'm actually reminded of my wife growing up. Uh, her high school principal knew the first name of every student in the school. Wow. And she still talks about him to this day. Uh, it's been almost you know 20 years since we graduated from high school, so it's just it's crazy to me what can happen when you think about uh, the impact, even yes. the small little action of learning somebody's name and using it on a regular basis, the impact that that can make on them well into the future. No doubt about it. So just a reminder, listeners, what if this doesn't go away? What if this new thing that we were just hoping would be a fleeting idea becomes the norm and we better get ready? I, th- I think again to General Motors. You brought them up earlier. Uh, Mary Barra, CEO of General Motors in Kokomo, Indiana, reminded all of her people in that area, we're planning on going all electric cars by 2035. Mm-hmm. Well, that means it's a thing. And it's not only a thing, it's the norm. And anybody that's still using gasoline 15, 20 years from now may be having a hard time finding the gasoline pump at the gas station. Yeah, there may be educators who look back on this time 20 years from now and think a very similar thought. I can't believe they did education without fill in the blank. And I think we should be the first ones who figure out what that future looks like. Uh, There was another educator who we found out about from uh, who's from the country of Brazil. His name is Francisco Tupi, and I think he embodies everything that we're talking about here because he really pushed the ball forward in uh, how we can utilize the world of technology and education. So he has been passionate for a really long time about using the game Minecraft. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a very creative game where students can use building blocks of all kinds to create uh, buildings and uh, landscapes in a digital world. But Minecraft for many years has had an education edition that allows uh, students to use coding, 3D modeling uh, in order to build culture and citizenship. And so he actually wrote a dissertation on the world building game Minecraft and how he could use it uh, to create a project where students would actually rebuild ruins from the countries of Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan, uh, basically ancient buildings that have been lost and there's only ruins left. Well, they actually built the real building up uh, up in there, and he actually created a whole curriculum on it. Uh, what's really amazing, this is what he said about it in an interview. He said, we wanted to build a game that would be helpful in solving problems and spreading awareness about humanity's responsibility towards its heritage sites. Mm -hmm. The project uses school teachers and moderators, and it motivates students to do research on history, math, geography, and anthropology. And the goal is to build global empathy. I just thought, what a brilliant idea, right? Somebody who is bringing together all those different subjects, as well as an important life skill like empathy, all into a game that students love to play. So it's a really great example of how one teacher is saying, you know what, I think Minecraft can get us there. It's it's just another picture of the exact mindset that it takes for us to go, you know what, the future may not look like we want it to, but if we follow a certain set of principles, we'll find a way. 
Well, thank you, Tim, so much for leading us in this conversation and inspiring us to consider that the future may not be exactly what we think it will be. No matter what the future looks like, though, we know students are going to need life skills in order to navigate that future well. Uh, and if you're not currently building life skills in your students, can we suggest one way that you might be able to do it? It's a program that we call Habitudes. Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. We use a picture that is ultimately a metaphor that comes along with a story, and a lot of great experiences and questions that we believe can totally transform a student's life via conversations, really important conversations that build SEL life skills. If you'd like to find out more information and actually try this out for free, uh, you can go to growingleaders.com SEL and find out about our high school edition of the program as well as our middle school edition. We'd love for you to check that out. If you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That gets the word out about what we're doing here. You may want to actually quite literally share what we're doing here. If you find this uh, found this podcast helpful and want to pass it along to a friend, we invite you to do that. And then if you want to connect with us online, we're at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore on Facebook and Twitter, Instagram. We'd love to connect with you. So uh, reach out to us there. And if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's people you want us to interview or uh, conversations you want us to talk about, subjects you want us to engage with, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. Thanks again, Tim, for leading us. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.